Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh on the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What yeah. did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man. <laughs> it's the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. I'm oh, out here with Ken Erty. Hello. Hi Ken, introduce yourself to everybody. After a weekend that was notable for sportsmen doing what sportsmen like to do above all else, ramming the words of their critics <laughs> right the way down their stupid, big, fat, critical throats. Yeah, yeah. It was happening all over the place, Ken. We had Kilkenny using uh, a perceived pro-tipperary bias in the media to fuel their All-Ireland replay victory. Patrick Reid, the American Ryder Cooper, was heckled mercilessly on the first tee by a boisterous European fan with the mm. line. Did, did you see the line? Go, well, go on, Owen. Have you practiced your pudding, Patrick? <sighs> uh, Reed subsequently took great delight in inciting the crowd after hitting some birdies in the way to victory against Henrik Stenson, using that famous shushing gesture that sports people love so much. And Stephen Gerrard cracked in a free kick against Everton before unleashing a fairly unla- elaborate celebration, the centrepiece of which was an even more classic cupping of the ears gesture. Yeah. Now, I wasn't sure if he was, was he cupping them actually to the critics or to the Liverpool fans cheering him on in reaction to the critics. I think it was, well, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's very meta. I mean, obviously what the Liverpool fans were cheering him, he was in front of the Liverpool fans. It would have been simpler if he'd been in front, in front of the Everton fans. Uh, as he was, say, at Goodison in 2001 when he scored a, a very good goal and ran around maniacally uh, cupping one ear on that occasion and sticking his tongue out in an <laughs> extremely provocative display. Much more provocative than, uh, for instance, Nasser Chadley, who did the same thing at Arsenal, got booked mm. uh, over the weekend. Jared um, didn't get booked on that occasion. Didn't get booked on this occasion either, presumably because he's in front of his own fans. But uh, I don't know, is he just saying... Yes, I bathe in your adulation. I, I, your cheering is music to my ears. <laughs> or is he saying, yes, uh, your cheers force the words of my critics back down their throats? Or is he saying, are you not entertained, Liverpool fans? 
I know some of you want me to the team. I was looking at some of the websites, and it's currently running about 60-40 as to whether I should even be in this team. Have you forgotten everything that I've done for you? Was that what he was saying? I mean, I don't know. We don't know. Would Patrick Reed have been booked if he was playing football? <laughs> Um. <laughs> You're quite taken with that heckle. It was, it's funny because the you know the way Sky Sports present their Ryder Cup coverage. It's this isn't this isn't golf as we know it. This is more like a, a rowdy football stadium, yeah. and, it, and this is what it's all about. And then when uh, a, f- a golfer gets or a heckler should say gets too close to the bone when he actually questions a man's putting. Oh, oh Sky didn't like that <laughs> one bit. And then they didn't like it one bit when well at least one of them I think didn't like it one bit when one of the commentators when uh, Reed started. He wasn't just um, shushing the crowd. He was also Arms up. He was. He. It was about as. It was about as physical as as you can get in terms of a golfer interacting with the crowd. And he was using all of his considerable bulk, Patrick Reed. To, yeah. Oh, come on then. Yeah. Come on, have a go. Come on. You. You want to say that line about my putting again? <laughs> you just saw me sink that put. Yeah. Did you like them apples? I'd say you might have got booked. We'll talk Chelsea on today's show. We'll talk Luis Suarez and Messi also. Uh, but time now for Kennedy's report on sport. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I guess we'll start with that match. Um, we'll be talking, as I said, about Chelsea right, cruising away at the top of the league and what it is, why it is that they're just able to sort of hit the ground running when everyone else has hit the ground, collapsed, uh, scrambling around. Some of them are still on the ground. You know, some of them are now facing the wrong direction, going the wrong way. Their, warp, their pre-season warm-up was too vigorous and they're absolutely wrecked by the Saturday. There's, there's just, you know, whereas Chelsea, eyes on the prize, striding away confidently, hitting the front early and hoping to stay there. Um, so we'll talk a bit about them and, and some of the Spanish football good performance from Neymar over the weekend a hat trick and uh, Lionel Messi setting up a number of goals. Suarez supposedly a little bit looking a little bit chunky. Well, this is, I mean Suarez is chunky. Uh, th- this was the thing. I mean, we'll ask uh, Kieran Canning about this later on whether he thinks there's anything to it. It may just be that uh, Spanish media thing whereby half the media is against you and half the media is on your side. So I wouldn't be surprised if this week there was there was. Uh, you know, features in the other half of the media saying Suarez has never looked slinkier. <laughs> you know, size zero, uh, Barcelona forward Luis Suarez. Today. Is Suarez too thin? Yeah. You know, are we, we're, we're worried about you, Luis. You know, his post-match uh, meal. Did you see that thing where the Barcelona players' post-match meals was revealed? Oh, I saw this last week. Um, Messi doesn't eat particularly well, by all accounts, immediately after a game. I thought well, this is ridiculous. His his meal was this is this is directly after the match. So they all they've got this big sheet where the players list out what they want, um, and you know so some of them are having stuff like uh, most of them are having some kind of pizza mm-hmm. um, with some maybe something with some something else maybe. Um, very few of them eating what you would consider typically or classically healthy foods. <clears throat> but, you know, after the match is a good time to eat a bunch of carbs, if that's what you want. I think that is true. I think that's the one time where sports people... Uh, I, I don't know if this is so much a psychological or a physical idea by the nutritionist. I, I'm not sure if, if at any time massive, massive pizza are the best thing for you. Mm. But I do think maybe dietitians and nutritionists might think, okay, at some stage of the week, these boys have to be allowed to pig out and this is as good a time as any. Yeah, when you've, you know, worked yourself to the bone out there in the field, you know, now's the time to eat in Lionel Messi's case cheese pizza and drink a Sprite now come on Sprite you can't be serious I, I was looking down the whole list of players he's the only one eating a, he's the only one having a sugary carbonated beverage this is Pretty. the I was looking down through it I mean some of them are having Gatorade or various isotonic drinks most of them water Lionel Messi the world's best player is having a Sprite not a Sprite Zero Owen 
Sprite and a cheese pizza, right. which is which is a meal that a child would eat. You know, it's like a it's like a, a happy meal, almost. You know, it's it's a it's a a baby's repast that Lionel Messi will have. Well, Ken, you know the famous Finsel Party quote, don't you? Which I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear, is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle, victorious, victorious. with a can of Sprite beside him and a half-eaten cheese pizza. Can of Sprite, half-eaten cheese pizza. Oh, the, and also the milkshake that all the Barcelona players get. Very important. Non-negotiable. Everybody <laughs> has to drink the same milkshake. That's fine. Uh, that's the first thing that goes into the belly. And then you can eat whatever it is, whatever right. food. But I think Barcelona's nutritionists are making sure that whatever it is they need to get into the players' bodies is going in, first of all. And then, But it, it, the funny thing about it was, it was it was a cheese pizza. What adult eats a cheese pizza? <laughs> it's like a fussy-eating child's selection, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I wonder, does Cristiano Ronaldo eat the same thing? I say, yeah. You know, I'm going to go ahead and leave on. Now, we, we could see the Real Madrid um, picnics. Picnics is what they call it. Um, we can see the Real Madrid post-match picnics uh, list any day, and it could be Ronaldo eats a cheese pizza, or maybe pepperoni, and he and he drinks a Seven Up. I don't know, but I really doubt it. I would say that whatever Cristiano Ronaldo was eating is a little bit more in line with what you might, um, you know. Yeah. But I suppose Messi's so good, he doesn't have to. Uh, he doesn't have to compete on the food front. What do you think of the Merseyside derby? Well, yeah, I mean that's what we've been talking about. Um, at the beginning and, and Steven Gerrard and obviously the team after this was answering critics uh, whether he'd answered his critics or not I don't know I don't know in fact he hadn't answered any critics I mean sorry I do know he didn't you know it's like he provided a he said something which wasn't an answer to the question that was being asked you know what I mean yeah um, what he said was I'm a, a man who can hit a very mean dead ball I can hit dead balls that not a lot of other men can hit. Um, I mean, I saw Carragher Neville on TV the other day, a few a couple of weeks back. We're talking about the goal by Ener Valencia, the ridiculous no backlift shot into the top corner, um, and they were just laughing at it, going, "We could never in our lives dream of being able to hit a football like this. <laughs> it's just not. We've never been able to do it. I played the game. We've got. We've played thousands of games between us. Never once in our lives have we been able to strike a football in that way. Jared is a player who's you know, who's good at hitting footballs. The free kick that he scored was a very unusual one. It was kind of a softly struck one, almost that needed to be placed. Not a lot of players in the field could have scored it. Maybe only a couple of other players in the field. He scored it doesn't mean that he's a good uh, defensive midfield player, you know? What we seen earlier on that day was Mamadou Sacco, who was only signed, you know, a little over a year ago for a large fee of 18 million, storming out of the ground and, and going home before the game because he's dropped from the squad. Now, why he was dropped from the squad is, is really... Um, that would be... Only Brendan Rodgers can explain that. He might have been looking at the squad and thinking, well, Colatore's in this squad. He also played against Middlesbrough the other night, and I'm the one who's dropped... So, obviously, you don't, you know, what Sacco did, he pulled a bit of a Phil Mickelson on it, you know. He took the, he, he struck back against the authority, which when he should have, you know, been a good a good member of the squad and accepted accepted his position. Yeah. If he was going to go full Mickelson, though, he would have surely burst in on Brendan Rodgers' post-match press conference. And kicked him in the back. <laughs> kicked him in the front. <laughs> kicked him in the front. Just talked about how useless he was. No, just talking in really admiring terms about some other yeah. manager he had had in the uh, Well, the great thing about Roy Hodgson... Uh, or Kenny Dog Leash, 
Uh, of course, a, a great Liverpool man, Kenny Dalglish, the kind of man that can land you a Liverpool league title. The great thing about Kenny Dalglish was that he'd won so many trophies as a player for Liverpool. I mean, you looked at that man and you and you just knew that he was football. Dalglish was football. I mean, how many year, how many European cups he won? Three, three European cups. You know, amazing. You know, and scored so many great goals for the club. You know, and then to take that into the dugout, I think that's really what set him apart. Mm. You know, but I mean, obviously, I don't know why I don't know why we left that model. Yeah. That, that's what Sacco maybe could have said um, if he sought to, to emulate Phil Nicholson. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but this tells you that Sacco, that, that's, that's, a, that's a fairly big deal. You know, storming out like that. Maybe Sacco doesn't realize what a big deal it is. I'm sure that's what he'll, he'll claim now. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought you, hey, I thought they didn't need me. You can't do that. You know, that's hugely undermining of the manager's authority. But, you know, there's a player who's seriously unhappy about a decision that's been taken. And when you look through these guys, these Liverpool defenders, I mean, this pillory Liverpool defence, what a terrible time to be them. It's been over the last few months. Yeah. And even a guy like Lovren, you know, who, who actually went to the World Cup, uh, I think Sacco was Sacco. Yeah, Sacco was at the World Cup. In fact, I saw him playing quite badly at the World Cup against Germany, I think. He was substituted. But, uh, you know, Lovren couldn't put a foot wrong for Southampton comes in here and suddenly he's all at sea, you know, the ship is sinking, he's he's desperately trying to do his best to keep it above water, but what can he do? And for each of these guys, you know, they found themselves dropped, you know, the way Sacco was, Skirtle has been a number of times, Lovren hasn't been yet, but he's only been there for a few games. Uh, the goalkeeper, Mignolet, seems to be in a, in a spiral, you know, and, and that it doesn't look as though he's going to come out of, and rumours that he's going to be replaced. The fullbacks have effectively been replaced, you know, they've, they've signed two new fullbacks who've been starting most of the games. Yeah. Uh, albeit Flanagan has, has been injured and Johnson's had a couple of problems. There's only really one player involved in that defensive unit who hasn't really been subjected to serious scrutiny and criticism or been dropped, isn't there? Well, apart from Mignolet hasn't been dropped because the alternative is Brad Jones. And even despite the fact that Mignolet hasn't played well, Nobody wants to be the man who picks Brad Jones in a league game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's really only one one man left there who, and this is the man, well, this is man who was cupping his ears to the crowd, oh. apparently, um, and talking afterwards about the fact that he he uh, was a little bit upset about some of the criticism that had come his way, saying, "Yeah, constructive criticism, fine. When people say I can't run, I'm past it. That hurts." And I'm sure it does. I mean, it's it's something which sportsmen complain about a lot, I think, when they reach this phase in their career. You've talked, Owen, before about how Brian O'Driscoll used to um, used to find this annoying. Um, the idea that he lost the yard. Oh, yeah. People would have said it. I think he found it amusing rather than... Uh, I wouldn't say he found it that amusing. Maybe publicly he found it amusing. <laughs> Privately yeah. he found it very annoying. Yeah. You don't, you don't want to admit that something's really riled you up, you know, because it just encourages people to keep doing it. Yeah. Um, I'd say I wouldn't say he found it amusing though, really. But you know, he did eventually. It does eventually happen? Well, everyone and, happens. And that's, and that's the question that there is about about um, Jared now. I mean, just the you know, given that he can't affect games in the old way, in the old way being the, the goal that we mentioned earlier on, the one against Everton, two thousand one, um, unbelievable goal. You know, watch it again if you've forgotten it. It, the, just the sheer physicality of, of the young Stephen Gerrard, you know, the kind of stuff he was able to do, the sort of explosive power that he had. Obviously, he doesn't have that anymore. Um, but can he really affect games in a good way? Well, when you look at the defence that he's a part of, I mean, he's the most advanced player who's part of that unit. It's been a shambles for months and months and months. Everyone else has come under scrutiny. 
You know what I mean? I don't think I don't think you can be a part of something like that, a dysfunctional unit like that, and expect to escape uh, scrutiny altogether. I mean, he certainly he seems to be able to stay in the team. And uh, what can you do? Uh, there is one thing I'd like to correct him about. Yeah, and I want to correct myself as well. Um, Go on. It's a combination of Stephen Jarrett's mistake and my lazy journalism. Uh, that uh, he he mentioned afterwards. That was what a strike by Jagielka, and what a strike it was! It was an unbelievable strike. Uh, it's the kind of strike you hit once in a lifetime. And I thought oh. that Jared says this, but of course he knows that he's got a whole lot of these. He's hit a whole lot of these shots um, in his career. Maybe it's a player like Jagielka uh, who only gets to do it once. But uh, Barry Glendening contacted me to say, just a, uh, on a point of order there. You might remember that Phil Jagielka, well, obviously you don't remember, but Phil Jagielka, when he played for Sheffield United, scored a whole bunch of these types of goals. He was, in fact, a long-range shootist, a uh, a specialist from 30-plus yards, uh, who loved nothing better than hammer a rising ball into the roof of the net. And uh, had done it many, many times, just because he hasn't done it so much forever. I mean, he used to play in midfield a lot for Sheffield United, um, and has played nearly his entire career at Everton Central Defender. His body angle was... The most impressive part about well, uh, the fact that he whacked into the top corner was the most impressive part, I suppose. But just the way the ball was coming a little bit too far to the left, and he had to maneuver yeah. himself slightly, open his body up a small bit to cut across it. It was all done unbelievably skillfully. Yeah, mm. And maybe I was more surprised by that than I should have been. I know you can say it's a bit; those are kind of pot shots, but you have to actually get yourself into the right position, or else you look like a total idiot and hit it a bit twenty yards over the bar. Wayne Rooney, Ken, yeah, you want to talk a little bit about red card Rooney? Well, goal and red card, Rooney. Oh yeah, that's true. We can't forget about the goal. Um, uh, and he's another man showing, you know, stuffing one up the critics uh, who, who had suggested that. You know, people but he sort of is. I mean, the critics have always said that he he maybe loses his head a little bit too. Well, easily. the critics want to look at his red card statistics, though, because he didn't get sent off that. It's his first straight red card in the Premier League. <laughs> I mean, it was so stupid. It was like he, he just completely cocked up an attempted trip to your Downing. That's yeah. all he did. That's, what he, that's even how he explained it away. I tried to trip him, but ended up kicking him a little bit higher than I intended. I didn't absolutely volley the lad, he said. <laughs> so they asked him if he'd apologise to Downing, and he was like, no. <laughs> I didn't absolutely, it's not like I volleyed the lad. I just, uh, you know, I tried to trip him, and I made a complete mess of it. It was so embarrassing. You know, how did, how did you, that's appalling technique. Yeah. You know, as much as anything. Um and Hal described it as unfriendly. The goal that he scored was a nice goal. Um, I would like, I do now have an image of Wayne Rooney actually volleying another Premier League player. Yeah. You maybe pick a, pick a really big one, See, like Stephen Jarrett is coming at Wayne Rooney. Wayne, he's in the air for some reason. He's going for, maybe, maybe Jarrett himself is going in over the top of the ball. Yeah. And Rooney just retaliates by volleying him straight. Catching clean. him sweetly like that Catch ball against Newcastle. Sweetly, yeah. Um, well, he did kick that guy against Montenegro, and that, that was a weird thing. I mean, that was a totally deliberate kick yeah. of a guy who, who had somehow annoyed him. And this was the same, except it was an attempt to just trip uh, a guy who, who was just a little bit... Stuart Downing is just that little bit too quick for Wayne Rooney um, right now. But he, the, the unfortunate timing for Rooney was that he had uh, just... He'd given an interview to the Sunday Times in which he was presenting himself as the new, uh, rounded, mature presidential Wayne Rooney mm. uh, who who didn't do and you could see in the in the article itself uh, which is by Jonathan Northcroft um, little lines took in like the red card yesterday was an aberration 
um, <laughs> you know, as the... Um, oh, the journalists mightn't have expected Rooney to get a red no, card. No, of course, of course yeah. not, you know. Um, so so uh, he, he, had, he had to put in a couple of things like that. But uh, Rooney revealed nothing in this really? interview. Nothing. And I was a little bit... I was disappointed that in some of in some of the things that he said that maybe he wasn't challenged a little bit on some of the things that he said because, for instance, when Rooney talks about, um, I mean, he, you know, he said, I, "I believe I can still get better in the next three to five years. You'll see me as a different player. The next two or three, I feel these could be the best years of my career." Well, he's hardly going to say anything different, you know, given that he's he's got this record. He's the highest paid player in the league. He's hardly going to say, "Well, you know, to be honest, I'm." Begin to feel it, but you know I started when I was sixteen. <laughs> you know I don't expect Rooney to say that. I'm a thick set lad. Uh, sometimes it's hard to keep myself I'm, in tip top shape. Big, big lad, you know, we don't all this at the age at the same time. You know, I've got a lot of games in these legs. <laughs> you know, but, but you know, I've got to keep plugging away to pick, pick up the seventy five million quid. Um, no, I don't expect that. But for instance, um, you know, he's saying I wasted too much energy when I was younger, charging around and. Uh, now I'm, I'm more intelligent in the way I economically expend my energy in the best possible, most f- efficient way. Um, but when he says this, okay, he, he's he's talking about uh, Van Gaal goes into so much detail about the opposition. There'll be times I I'll be needed to play deeper or wider, which I've no problem doing. In the main, I feel I've still got at least two or three years up front. I know of the quality to play in midfield. I've done it comfortably. There'll come the time when I come to a deeper position for good. That could be this week. Could be in a couple of years. It's down to the manager, and I'll accept it. But the point—the point is, at this point, I would—I would have liked to heard Rooney's answer to the question. But hang on a second. Have did you not complain last year? You know, when is it? When is it that he did this? Was it less than a year ago? Well, it was, it was at the end of Ferguson's reign. Um. Well, look, Thursday, tenth October. Thursday, 10th October, 2013. So less than a year ago, Wayne Rooney uh, at an England press conference says, "Uh, I feel I've done enough to warrant a place in my position, which is centre forward. He was fed up being told to help out midfield. Everyone at the club knew where I wanted to play. I think that's why I was disappointed. Now he's talking here about his his time under Ferguson. I got told to play in midfield and I didn't want to. I just think there had to come a point when, for my own career, I had to be a bit selfish, really. That's Rooney explaining why he didn't want to play up front. He didn't want to play deep. He didn't want to play wide. That's less than a year ago. Mm. Now he's changed his tune. Now I suppose we can see in broad outline the reasons why that has happened. I mean, for instance, something else happened. Another kick in the guts for, for poor Rooney. Uh, on, fr- on Friday was the launch of FIFA 15 with the eagerly anticipated player ratings. <laughs> now, this wouldn't be such a big deal if so many of the players didn't play this game. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, many of them, a lot of the younger ones, particularly Rooney, I'm sure, has played a bit. He certainly advertised a few of these uh, games. You see Lionel Messi fronting the current one. Uh, he's an 86, Owen. 86 out of 100. That's down on last season. But more importantly, it's two behind Van Robin Van Persie <laughs> and Falcao. Right. Uh, and I think one behind Angel Di Maria as well. So he's suddenly only the fourth best player at the club according to the Oof, game that all how the- frustrated are you if you're Wayne Rooney and they, they do, a lot of them do play again I mean you read a lot of the, these footballers autobiographies even the better ones um, the likes of Andrea Pirlo mm. Pirlo and Nesta had a long running arrangement where they pretty much did nothing but play FIFA yeah uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic played so much I think it was FIFA that when he left Ajax to go to Italy he had totally forgotten to turn his Playstation off or Xbox whatever it was 
and weeks later his agent goes back to just clear out the apartment and there it is halfway through a game and it gets paused humming away yeah, basically humming it was away. the only thing in his apartment if I remember correctly he had he essentially an apartment which was bare apart from TV and Playstation but yeah I think he's in 90 by the way so he's lording he's it over could, and I'm pretty sure Zlatan picks himself wherever uh, possible he, he uh, plays with teams as Zlatan uh, he's in a popular, popular player but you know what I, what I wonder is is Kai old enough to play FIFA I mean I remember reading uh, an interview with Darren Fletcher where he was talking about um, coming back from ulcerative colitis. This is a while ago. Yeah. And he said, you know, obviously I've got kids now who are, who are grown up a little bit. I mean, not grown up, kids, grown up children, but his kids are a little bit older. He's not babies, not yeah. toddlers. And, uh, and they asked me questions like, why are you so bad on FIFA now, Daddy? <laughs> <laughs> what, what happened to you in FIFA? Like, you're, you're, you're like a stick. You can barely move. <laughs> so I was just thinking this kind of... But anyway, look... It's not the biggest thing that happened to him. Just, a, just another little indignity. But there was the problem with that interview. I think was that there was none of this. There, there wasn't really. A, it's not as though it's a court, a court martial or a cross examination. But hang on, Mister Rooney. On tenth of October, twenty thirteen, you said. Well, you know, when he's he's given it all this. Oh, yeah. I'll play here. I'll play there. I'm not. I'm not convinced one hundred percent that he's entirely happy with that. You've got a, an Adam Pardew, or maybe more particularly a Mike Ashley story you want to share with us. Well, this is the other extreme. Of the um, of of how revelatory you are in an encounter with a journalist, yeah. Uh, Rooney, not very. Uh, Ashley, <laughs> okay. Look, I don't even know where to start. Uh, so, Mike Ashley is leaning outside a pub, um, the Golden Lion in Soho's Dean Street, enjoying a drink with a friend, when a journalist. <laughs> comes up to him and says, what's going on with pards? You know, I don't know if the journal, I don't know exactly the circumstances. Has the journalist said, uh, good evening, Mr. Ashley. I happen to be a journalist with, you know, national, uh, I don't know which newspaper it was actually. All the papers just keep referring to a paper. So I haven't read the original story. I apologize to whichever story, newspaper it was. But um, according to the report, he said, one more game. That's, this is what Ashley says about Pardew. If we lose against Stoke on Monday night, then he's gone. I've had enough. Ashley then... Uh, Ashley is then reported to have made a, a throat-cutting gesture. <laughs> and continued, dead, finished, over. One more game, then that's it. What would you do? I've spent a lot of money on that club. It's cost me a lot. I won't put up with it anymore. Honestly, answer me. What would you do? Said Ashley. Um... Wow. On Saturday night, Ashley's lawyers maintained, Mr. Ashley responded, tongue-in-cheek, that Mr. Pardew had two more games before being sacked. If there was one more game. Yeah, well, this is what the lawyers are saying. They, the, paper, the report said one more game. The right. lawyers are saying, he said, actually, actually, he said two games. And uh, they're saying, to put this into perspective, over the past few weeks, certain reports have stated they believe Mr. Pardew has two more games before being sacked. Mr. Ashley was therefore humoring the reporter. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, whatever, uh, whatever is going to happen there. Some things are taken out of context. <laughs> Pardew says, "I think Mike was trying to be supportive in his own kind of way." So that game takes place tonight. Uh, I don't think, regardless of what happens on Pardew, I don't think Mike Ashley can, in all conscience, sack him after after that. But maybe if it is after two games, who knows? That's the end of Ken Hurdy's report on sport. You can see the level of expectancy. Coach, this is the game you want at a victory, boy. It didn't happen. What happened? Oh. 
Can't they such an idiot? A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. <laughs> He was fucking dreadful. Sorry, yeah. we're not we're on air. Oh, we're not. We are. Oh. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously, <laughs> it didn't exactly do it. All right. Miguel Delaney joins us now. Miguel, you're at Sanford Bridge for a pretty comfortable victory for Chelsea against Aston Villa. It's not the first time you've been there this season. Is it already looking a little bit relentless from Chelsea? Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, I think that was either the fifth or sixth time I've been there. And I've only seen one, only seen drop points once, which is in the Champions League game, which almost seemed um, a bit of an aberration. But also, I, I do think that right now, anyway, I might change the end of the season. Mourinho is fully focusing everything on the league. You can even see it with the way he's using Diego Costa, uh, because I think that I, even though he he it was actually put to him at the start of the season, and he rejected that this whole idea that he hasn't won a league for three years and Chelsea have won for five that doesn't affect him. But I think he's very conscious of that and wants to end it. Um, and I, also, I think that there's the way he's acting this season, or the, the way he's been speaking. There is this really pretty extreme confidence about them right now and and that um translates onto the pitch as we've seen e- e- even on on saturday there was absolutely no doubt about it first goal came within eight minutes and they're just in, completely in control pretty much is part of that confidence do you think coming from um the diego costa his goals and also his demeanor he's is he the kind of guy who like didier drogba maybe in his best years for chelsea inspires confidence in those around him uh yeah i, I mean first of all i think wrote, wrote this back in may but uh Costa is basically almost Mourinho's ideal for what a striker he should be. Everything he does, the way he play, like beyond the goals, the way he works, the way he can kind of he can put his back to goal, hold play, bring other players in from behind, which I think has happened with the amount of goals Chelsea are getting from midfield now. But there was just been twice this season Mourinho came out with uh, comments about about Costa and Cesc Fabregas, and he said about both of them that they were players that this team was waiting for. In other words, that that slot was there that they just immediately fit, uh, were able to fit into. And I think that's that's been crucial to uh, why Chelsea have been so good and why they've been so much better than everyone else this season. Because I think it was pretty much a ready-made team. There's been a lot of work during the summer. Even some, someone like the Manu Matic be, having the benefit of full pre-season, the entire team kind of now understood what Mourinho wanted. And then he had two players who basically just gave them exactly what they needed in, in terms of making the team tick. Like they, they didn't have to adapt to what else or the team didn't have to adapt to what Costa Fabregas did. It, they, they basically just fit. Yeah. And I mean, Costa is so perfect for Mourinho in many ways, not least that his uh, agent is George Mendes. I mean, it's incredible <laughs> the um, synergies uh, that there are between these guys. But if, if there is one uh, bone to pick with Diego Costa, it concerns the state of his hamstrings, which... Um, which, I mean, even Mourinho was saying are a disgrace uh, these days, uh, is Diego Costa... The remarkable thing about him is that he seems to have this three-day turnaround from, an, from a hamstring injury, which I've never seen before in sport. Is Diego Costa a medical miracle or an injury time bomb waiting to happen? 
Well, Mourinho went into this a lot on Saturday and on Friday as well, actually. So it's clearly on his mind as well. And I suppose it's, it's obviously it's going to be because it's a recurring issue. But uh, he, greater, he came out with a rather grand suggestion that the way all Costa needs, basically, is just uh, a bit of time off to, uh, I suppose, just to give, give, that, give the hamstring sufficient rest so it returns to full. I mean, he, he actually went into quite specifics the other day, Mourinho, about, uh, about the problem with it, saying that until he gets that rest that ret- restores to 100%, he actually used the words, it's in danger of a rupture. So it's why he kind of needs to be nursed. But he came out with a grand suggestion then that while Mourinho would never say it directly to Vicente del Bosque or, or anyone in the Spanish national team, he thinks it would be better for Costa if he was given this 15-day rest during uh, during the next World Cup qualifiers, but he wouldn't say he wouldn't say it directly to Del Bosque. Why, does, <laughs> why doesn't Mourinho give him a rest? He's got like Remy and Didier Drogba. Well, yeah, I mean <laughs> that's that's exactly it. I mean, uh, I suppose Mourinho uh, his response might be why why would he get him fit to uh, to play for uh, to play for someone else in the national team and risk injury? But you're right. I mean that's that's exactly it. You think if if Mourinho is so concerned about this that basically you know. He should give him exactly the, the the rest he needs. You'd wonder maybe is he waiting for a kind of favourable run of league fixtures as well to do that if Spain don't do it. But but you're right. Yeah, I mean ultimately it's Mourinho's player. He's the, he's the one uh, <laughs> most concerned with this. Just the other player that you mentioned uh, at the beginning, Cesc Fabregas, uh, who's who's obviously played really well, surprising nobody. I think. Yeah. Um, you know he's he's taken up where he left off in the Premier League. Uh, he actually looks a better player in the Premier League than he than he ever did in the league. It's kind of always been the way with with him. Um, we know now that it is definitely true that Arsenal had the chance to take him back. And, yeah, and for whatever reason they didn't do it. I mean, you know, to 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 know the answer to that would require knowing exactly what's going on in Arsene Wenger's head. You could speculate about it, but it's, it's difficult to say. Fabregas, if he if he'd gone back there, would that have been? I get the impression we were we were talking before about him being at Chelsea. Maybe he didn't seem happy to be there, but actually, being going back to Arsenal would have been much worse. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's also like I mean, it's hard to know exactly where he would have fitted in the Arsenal team as well. Because I think the, the main problem with Arsenal, obviously, someone like Cesc is someone that he immediately improves the team. Um, no, ma- no matter what, he like he's a quality player, but that's not Arsenal's greatest need. They needed a defensive midfielder because Arteta and Flamini just aren't really up to the job of a of regularly competing at that top four level in the way that should be expected. Um, but of course, that's mitigated by the fact that Wenger didn't sign one of them. Uh, so what I think there's, there's a certain merit in the um, in, in, like for football wise in Wenger's decision not to go for Fabregas. From the flip side, you can imagine Ferguson and Mourinho used to, they, they would have done it routinely to stop a rival having a player that could really transform them. Right, get him, get him in here. We'll we'll make do. Um, and I, and I think any any economic concerns from uh, from Arsenal are a little bit uh, that doesn't that doesn't seem to stand true given they didn't spend money elsewhere and and also that they're commonly talking about how much money the club has now. Um, but as regards why Fabregas has returned to form, I do think it's fine. It's funny the fact that he's playing in his best position. Like, oh, it was kind of strange after so many years at Barcelona where they're talking about the. Xavi, or that Fabregas was the natural successor to Xavi, that he could immediately fit right into that role. And they never really seemed to fancy him there. Whereas, uh, now I suppose it is because he's kind of different to, to Xavi, really. I mean, he actually reminds me more of uh, a peak Frank Lampard with the way he kind of suddenly makes those bursts forward. And he has that kind of that nose for attack that Lampard does as well. 
The uh, demeanour of Mourinho, you mentioned earlier on the, how positive he is. We know how functional Mourinho is and how he looks at the game of football, Miguel. But is that functionality this season actually leading to quite an attractive team? Uh, not that it, he's never going to sacrifice the chance of winning for the chance of winning, uh, picking up three points. But do they actually, with all these new players we're talking about, do they actually look like a pretty um, decent team to watch seeing as you've been there six or seven times? Yeah, they do have to say. I mean, there's much more kind of nuance to play, a lot more angles of attack. I mean, I think the fundamental problem last year was basically they had what what eventually was a sturdy defence, even though the defence actually didn't start the season that well, which is like this one maybe a little. But really, their attack was so predictable. I mean, if you kind of took Hazard out, they had to just kind of force their way through. There wasn't much. Whereas now, Hazard is just one angle. You've got to stop Costa. You've got to stop Fabregas as well. And then be, and then, that allows players like Oscar and William to flourish more as well. So, yeah, I think that even the way those players link up as well um, is, is much more entertaining. And you could even see it in the, in the game last week against uh, Manchester City, which for 70 minutes was a pretty dull game. And a pretty dull de- game primarily because of Chelsea's approach. Yet... The, the goal that actually they scored to put them ahead was probably one of the strikes of the season. I thought. I mean, that was, I mean, it was a, a perfect counter attack. I, I think that's probably always been the thing about Mourinho. It's it's not that he's kind of a negative um, or conservative manager in terms of play. It's that he he will rely on strong defence first and foremost if it means getting a result. But a lot of his teams have actually been pretty good to watch in the counter attack. A lot of his best teams say it's not it's not always the case as we saw last season. But I mean you remember even Inter that Champions League finally how can you have a team that doesn't, you know, at least play some good football when you've got, you know, um, Arjen Robin, Didier Drogba, Frank Lampard, you've got players like uh, Wesley Snyder, Cristiano Ronaldo, you've got uh, such Fabregas and Diego Costa. Yeah. I mean, it would be impossible for him to to squash all of the sort of good football out of these players. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I, I think I mean even look, we've talked about the, the Torres book um, before in this show. I, I, I actually thought, well, so much, there was so much merit in a lot of that book. I thought he he downplayed, he painted Mourinho a little bit too reductively. I think there's always been more nuance to Mourinho than he's given credit for. That's the Diego but, Diego Torres book. Not the, yeah. just in case people think Fernando Torres wrote a, <laughs> yeah, a skating tell-all about, uh, about <laughs> But But yeah. Yeah, you think it was too reductive that he didn't give Mourinho enough credit a, for something? A little ones. bit, yeah. yeah. And, and even the way it kind of you know, washes over even the, the 2011-2012 uh, title win. But I think, but the, I think the, the, the the other side of that is that more more so than pretty much any than much say purer managers in terms of their football approach, Mourinho will just rely on defence when it com- like when it comes down to it, he, he cares about the result above all else, uh, which is why he will he will gladly compromise. Yeah. Um. But I think it, it has, but it's also been, given that they're playing better football, they have been looser at the back this year. It, it was even the case in the Villa game on Saturday that they were um like it's not quite just a case of the defence not clicking in the same way they did at the last season. They're kind of they're left more exposed. I mean, the amount of times I've seen an opposition side run at them, and I think that's actually partially to do with the way with the way Fabregas plays. But um, it was it was the same on Saturday, and I, I, Bonnehor could have been in had it not been for one pretty bad touch. Yeah, Miguel, we'll leave it there. Brilliant, thank you. Cheers, thanks, lads. You seem to think, Kenneth, maybe maybe I'm offering a bit too much praise to Jose Mourinho for eking out some skillful football from one of the most expensively assembled sides ever. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a lot of good players. I mean, what I, what I do think, though, is, is the case. I mean, clearly Manuel Pellegrini's got a lot of good players too. Mm. And he hasn't quite managed to get off to this um, really uh, frictionless start, which, which Mourinho has. <clears throat> I mean, it's almost as though the guy knows what he's doing. You can't look at this and think, you know, 
I mean, Jose Mourinho, even, even as Miguel was saying, the focus on the league, everyone should be focusing on the league now. You know, who's, who, should, who, who is entitled not to do that? You could argue with Chelsea's group is, is a little bit easy and they maybe, maybe they've got, uh, it's, you know, when they can, they can rest Diego Costa for a Champions League game, it's, they're probably going to win anyway, you know? Although they didn't win. No, and that is dangerous, isn't it? It's not that the year that United were knocked out in the group stage, Ferguson was pretty annoyed with himself for taking yeah. it for granted a little bit, I think. Yeah, I mean, it can, it can happen. Um, that was to, it happened to the United twice, I think, 2005 and 2011. And yeah, it was a later one, I think. He was quite, quite annoyed himself. Um, but, you know, uh, I think that, the, I mean, when Mourinho's won the Premier League on a number of occasions, and this has always been the way that he's done it, um, by getting out early and demoralising the others. You talk about getting out early, Ken. He tried that trick with the handshake again this weekend. I'm sure a lot of people have seen the vine of this if they were oh, yeah. watching it at the time. Tried to shake hands, taps Paul Lambert in the shoulder to shake his hand before the game had actually finished. Does this quite a lot and disappears down the tunnel. Lambert was not having it. No. Well, Lambert, Lambert and Mourinho, of course, great friends. Uh, Are they? Yeah, apparently, apparently so. Uh, they they enjoy each other's company. Uh you won't find them slagging each other off, at least not yet. Um, but, yeah, Lambert, uh, Mourinho kind of leans down and Lambert, initially, he just instinctively goes to shake his hand and then sort of sees who it is. And it's like, oh, no, no. And sort of starts pointing at his watch and indicating, it's game time now. It's business time. We're not, you know, none of that. And Mourinho sort of, okay. And then reaches his hand over and the camera doesn't, isn't picking up that he's tapping Roy Keane in the shoulder. But Roy Keane's a very good man for that position. I don't think anyone can ignore other people quite like Roy Keane. He would have been a great man for a West of Ireland boycott back in the day, Keane, you know? He would literally be able to give you the impression that he was looking straight through you. You know, as he walked, walked along, you know, he, his face, is, you could walk straight through his gaze and it would never seem to focus on you at any point. He would have been very good, very gifted in that department. But obviously he doesn't shake Mourinho's hand either. No. Mourinho had that as well as he could by just going, oh, no, it's fine, it's fine. Oh, it's fine, fine. okay, yeah, well, we if you want to be like that, right? We're joined now by Kieran Canning from Madrid. Kieran, just first up, uh, we haven't actually talked much Spanish football so far this season and uh, a piece, I don't know if this is news, but apparently Luis Suarez might not be in the best physical shape ever given that he has had some time out of the game. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise. Last week, um, it was announced he was going to play in this slightly strange match between pretty much Barca B reserves um, with Luis Suarez and Thomas Laval and making his first appearance in the Barca truck against Indonesia on the 19th. So I wasn't expected to be the, the biggest footballing test of, of Suarez's career. But he did look to be a bit a bit heavy, certainly more heavy set than they're used to seeing him. Um, although the, the only thing I would say was that when you then saw him in, in the days after that in training, it, it might have been a, a bit of a fool of the jersey he was wearing. He was wearing a very baggy top, which is in contrast to the the last time we saw him at the World Cup when he was playing for Uruguay, so yeah, he didn't look he didn't look as uh, in shape as you maybe thought he would be. Um, but I don't think it it can be that great a problem because Luis Enrique, the Barcelona manager, the, the one thing he's usually famed for is his, um, his desire for his players to be as fit as possible. He himself is a an Ironman triathlon runner, um, and he's been raving about Suarez's attitude and training and. And the fact that even without playing, he described them as being a good signing so far because he's raised the intensity levels and in, in training. So it, did, it was a bit of a shock to see him look so, so out of shape. But um, the, the words coming out of Barcelona is that it's not that big a problem and that by the time he, he comes around to playing towards the end of October, he should be in, in solo fit shape. Yeah, I mean, Suarez has, has uh, 
you know, usually been in a, in a pretty good state of fitness throughout his career, very rarely succumbs to injury. Um, if only Leo Messi could say the same thing in terms of his, um, you know, recent times in his career, he's, he's had quite a few problems uh, and maybe they've stopped him getting close to his, his full potential. Uh, is there, are there signs so far this season that he's, that he's back in shape? Yeah, the thing I think it's almost it's almost a bit sad watching Messi at the start of this season because he's looked so good when you compare that method with the version of Messi we've seen in these this game so far this season, which in the grand scheme of things you know, aren't that important compared to the messages of towards the end of the World Cup, which were particularly I mean, for a guy with such a great career, it's maybe a bit harsh to call it career defining, but if Argentina win the World Cup rather than losing it, you're you're certainly reflecting on his career in a very different state. Um and as you quite often said, getting at the World Cup, the fact he just seemed to be lounging around the field when he didn't have the ball, that was the same with Barcelona towards the end of last season, particularly when they were put out of the Champions League by Atletico Madrid. And then you see this Messi now, it can't be, it can't just be an attitude thing, it must, there must have been something physically that was um, preventing him from, from being at his best at that, at that stage, because not only is he He's playing very well. He's scoring a lot of goals. He's setting up a lot of goals. The the old message used to press the, the defence is back, um, and that's something that Enrique has, has really praised him for. That Barcelona have already scored quite a few goals this season, and it did Messi's second of the weekend in the the six 0 win over Granada came from him winning the ball back high up the field and then running through and scoring. So he certainly looks physically a lot better, and the the, the sense I get from it at least is that there has to have been been that physical problem towards him. Um, towards the end of last season uh, and at the World Cup. And it's interesting that this week Barcelona are playing PSG and and there's a lot of talk about how those physical problems went back way back to when they played PSG um, a season and a half ago now when Barcelona sort of panicked and, and rushed an unfit Messi on um, against PSG in the quarterfinals of the, the Champions League when he clearly wasn't fit and, and damaged his hamstring quite severely. Um, and then that sort of dragged on for the next, next season and a half but he seems to be in the best shape since that point at the moment. Yeah, he's he's under a strange, a kind of a strange pressure now, Messi, isn't he? I mean, considering, uh, you know, he by, by common consent, the greatest player in the world, although it seems as though an increasing number of people are saying, well, hang on a second, Cristiano Ronaldo, having, you know, won the Ballon d'Or before Lionel Messi did, and then had to watch him win it four times in a row, finally won it back, and in, in the estimation of a lot of people, seems to have now surpassed Messi again so he was um, you know he, he was just plugging away all that time he's eventually come back I think it was Terry Venables the other day I saw saying I mean not that Terry Venables is necessarily gospel on this subject but he's saying look this guy is, is once again the greatest player in the world that Messi has lost what it was that made him so special we, that that player that, that everybody that, you know the, the man who won the Ballon d'Or four times in a row is gone you, you seem to be more hopeful that in fact he may just have been uh, resting I don't, I don't think that's my point previously. I don't think it was much that he was, he was resting. I think you know, the, the, the vast difference between Messi and this, these first two games of the season compared to Messi that finished in the last season makes me think that it, it can't just have been an attitude. He's not just switching it on and off, but there must have been something physically that was preventing him from being at his best. The thing is, is that the, the start of the season has almost been like a, the, the old caricature of, of Ronaldo and Messi, and that Ronaldo's goal scoring form has been sensational. And and Real Madrid have really just you know been flying by the seat of their pants on on Ronaldo's goals because defensively 
they've been awful and the balance of the team is, is completely out of whack without Di Maria and, and Alonso. But in general, you know, apart from apart from the Derby defeat when when Ronaldo when Ronaldo was there, um, they've won every game that Ronaldo started. He's scored a ridiculous number of goals. Whereas Messi's gone back a bit to the, the old style Messi of yes, he still scored quite a few goals, but he set up a lot more goals than than he scored. Um, and seems quite happy to almost playing as the the playmaker as well as the goal scorer. Um, and that that was the old style clash of styles that that, that um, everyone used to talk about. Whereas in recent years, you know, there was this idea that Ronaldo was starting to become more of a team player um, and was was working hard. And, and everyone respects the, the level of work that Ronaldo's shown to try and get there and, and beat Messi last year's the Ballon d'Or. I think this year's Ballon d'Or could be. Could be quite a tight race in that um, Messi had, a, although he didn't have a great World Cup, he certainly had a better World Cup party than they got to the final. But Ronaldo won, won the Champions League. Um, and then you got all the German players. And I, I think that when it comes to the Ballon d'Or, it might be a bit like the year after Spain won the, the World Cup and that the German vote will get split among so many different players, whether it be Lam or Neuer or Muller or whoever. Um, and it might end up being a, a straight fight between Ronaldo and Messi again. Manchester United, Kieran, have been so emboldened, Manchester United supporters anyway, by their uh, their club's transfer policy over the last few weeks that they're now flying banners uh, over Old Trafford, calling for Cristiano Ronaldo to... Over the Madrigal, in, in, over, over, over his Ma- game. Over his game, I should say. Uh, is that uh, resonating at all in Madrid? When I, yeah, well, when I, when I first heard of this plan, it was... It was being reported that it was going to be a game at the Bernabeu and out there, they would have, uh, it would have to be a very big plane to make any sort of difference flying over the Bernabeu because it's so covered over that no one would see it. Um, the, the thing is, <laughs> the thing in this the plane at Madrigal on, on Saturday, um, it's almost been laughed at in the Spanish press, you know, how ridiculous is this, as if Ronaldo's going to look up and go, oh, I'll, just, I'll just not bother playing for Real Madrid anymore, I should go back to Manchester United. Um, it's it's, it's it's interesting comparing the way it's been reported in the two countries. Um, in Spain, it's almost been laughed off as if it's like a pipe dream for, for United. You know, we might want to sign Ronaldo, but I'm sure they want to sign Messi and Iniesta and whoever else, and they're not going to get them. Um, I think it, what could be interesting, I, I certainly don't think it would happen next summer, um, but would there come a time when Ronaldo's on this huge contract that he signed just last season, um, and would Madrid look at it as how many, because Ronaldo is, is, is the thing, one of the things, that, the main thing that makes him so great, it's physically so domineering. Would look at a time and say, right, he's now 29, two years, he'd be 31. He's played a huge number of games since he was 17, 18. Um, is there a point where you, you cash in on him and think that his best days are behind him? Certainly think at the moment, um, and certainly as I said, that this early part of the season when they've been so heavily reliant on him, um, and as we know, Real Madrid is such a, a political club and the way things go with the president, that it would be a, a political disaster for Perez to, to let Ronaldo go at yeah. this point or, or next summer. Kieran, possibly, you know, two, three years down the line, then they might come up again. Kieran Canning, we'll leave it there. Thanks a million. Thank you very much, guys. I hadn't realised Luis Enrique was a was an Ironman to athlete. It's, uh, yeah, impressive. Um, he'd be doing well to still find the time to train for that. Managing Barcelona. I mean, it seems to be quite a... I wouldn't imagine Pep Guardiola had time to train for Ironman triathlons. No, I was reading recently... Or um, energy, for that matter. I mean, it's, it's, it's where, I'm trying to remember where I was reading now. 
Did I forget these things? That's all right. Pep, it may be in, it may be in this new book that's coming out uh, about Guardiola by Marty Perrin. Well, it's already out in, in Spanish. Um, a Catalan journalist spent last season with Pep in Bayern Munich. Yeah. Um, apparently, he doesn't eat anything on the day of a game. He can't, he can't eat. Uh, and he drinks... Uh, essentially, the only thing that he consumes on the day of a game until the game is over is water. So when you're looking at him there on the uh, sideline, looking very slim, uh, despite his uh, his now you know middle middle age, uh, it's because he's not eating anything. Okay, well that's <laughs> and, and nobody would really recommend that diet. So not well, uh, do you remember? Remember we talked to Tommy Smith before. Tommy Smith, the, the former Liverpool. Uh, defender. Not to be confused with Tommy Smith with the Y, the Not Tommy Irish Smite, ESPN. The, the Irish uh, ESPN commentator, no. Uh, Tommy, that lad who grasped on you, is dead. Smith. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he, he apparently never used to eat anything on the day of a game either. He said that it, it made him feel heavy. I remember reading this, I think, in his, in his book around the time that we did the interview with him, that it, he just played, essentially played almost, I don't know, he, he played a huge number of games, 700-odd games maybe. Uh, he had a really long career. And in nearly every one of those games, it was on an empty stomach uh, in a fasting state. Right. Uh, so he knows how good he could have been if he'd been able to get his head around the idea of, um, I don't know, maybe having a sandwich on the, on the day of a game. But, of course, he had a great career in any case. Luis Enrique again. According to Wikipedia, after retiring from football, lived for a while in Australia to practice surfing. He took part in the 2005 edition of the New York City Marathon, finished the Amsterdam Marathon, the Firenze Marathon, and another marathon while also entering the Frankfurt Ironman in 2007. He was supposed to take part in the Klagenfurt Ironman in July 2008, but eventually declined due to his engagement as manager of Barcelona B. So it did seem that there was a post-career, post-playing career a few years there where he kept himself nice and trim, mm. bulked up even in certain, certain senses, and... Uh, did a bit of Ironman, and once he went back to Barcelona, maybe he had to knock that on the head a little bit. But a fitness fitness fanatic. Well, look, all I'll say is, you know, he's he claims to be a fitness fanatic, but he's he's not a fitness fanatic. Owen. Not next to some of the other fitness fanatics in the managerial game. Um, the O-man manager, Paul Le Guin. Remember him? He was manager of Rangers for yeah. a little while, and Leon. And, uh, he's a proper fitness fanatic. Have you ever heard of the Marathon de Sable? Yeah, that was also run here by uh, Luis Enrique. Was it? Yeah, 2008. Oh. Can you explain what that is? Uh, well, that's a 150-mile race through the desert, uh, I think. Uh, so, uh, Luis Enrique did this. Oh, of course. It's a 150-mile <laughs> trek through the that's, Sahara. That's a long run, yeah. That's totally, it's totally Difficult nuts. conditions, you could say. Completely insane. But, um, yeah, five and a half marathons in five and a half days um, in 100 degrees Fahrenheit of desert uh, heat. Mm. So... Yeah, I mean, some people, eh? Some people don't. That's the end of the show, Ken. Uh, thanks very much for bringing it to us today. Yeah, can I just... Um, oh, no, you're okay. Yeah, keep going, yeah. Just um, I'm, I'm just actually on the Marathon de Sable uh, page here. Well, this is the UK page. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a quote from Johann Wolfgang Goethe. Yeah. What, whatever you can do or dream, you can. Begin it. Boldness has genius, power and magic in it. Begin it now. So along with a can of seven up and some pizza. <laughs> That's positive thinking. Uh, if you do this race, 150 miles through the desert, you will experience something unique, something you will never forget. You will make lifelong friends. You will push your mind and body to the limit. You will find things out about yourself. You see, Dennis Cometo has found out that he is the fastest marathon 
runner in history again. Broke the world record at the weekend in Berlin. Really? Two he hour- broke the world record? Yeah, it's down to two hours, two minutes, and 57 seconds now. Okay. So they ultimately will possibly get down to that two-hour, that mythical two-hour barrier. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. No doubt about it. A few years. Uh, that is the end of the show, Ken. Okay. Thanks very much for... We could, we could sit here talking endurance running all day, yeah, but I think we might fun. start boring ourselves as well as our listeners. Thanks very much for listening. Check out the other show we have out there today. We talked a lot of Ryder Cup with Paul Kimmage and Malachy Clerk, and in particular Phil Mickelson and his behaviour towards... Uh, oh, Tom Watson it didn't, uh, didn't go down too well with a lot of people although uh, both Paul in particular and Maddie felt that maybe Tom Watson had a bit of a coming to him and we talked about the All-Ireland final with Benny Dunn and with Maris O'Brien two of our regulars all summer you can check that out in the usual spots on iTunes on the Podcast Republic app for an Android and uh, on SoundCloud you can also check out our, uh, secondcaptains.com if you get a chance and follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains thanks for listening we'll talk to you again soon That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 